This Advent season, we have been waiting for a story, waiting for a story, a time of expectation, a time of anticipation, a time of preparation. And we've been looking at some of the real people in the Christmas story, and we've been waiting for this grand fulfillment of the great faith story of the Bible. And we've been looking through the lens of these real people. We started with with Mary and Joseph and their humble obedience. This fulfillment of the the, the great prophecy from Isaiah that a a child would be born, that he would become the, the prince of peace who would take the government upon his shoulders and make all things right. We said that we can experience the peace of God by having peace with God that's available to us through his grace. We looked last week at the shepherds, the humble shepherds who pointed us to the hope of a Savior, a hope open to us all a hope that comes by grace through faith, not through social status, moral performance, or achievement. Today we're going to look at joy, joy. And let me ask you this morning, as you bring whatever you bring into this place today, what is the source of your joy? What is the ultimate source of your joy this morning? And would you like more of it? Would you like to live more in the experience of joy? Well, I believe the answer is yes to that, and we're going to see what God's Word has to teach us about that this morning. Would you pray with me? Father, we come to you this morning, and we come with anticipation. We come with expectation that you will teach us through your word and through your spirit about the true nature of joy. We're so thankful that your word is true. I pray this morning that my words are clear, that they are true, that they are helpful, and above all, that they bring you glory and honor. Burn off whatever doesn't do those things. Holy Spirit, be our teacher this morning. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I want to take you back to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 1. And this morning we're going to look at Zechariah and Elizabeth and their child, John the Baptist, in this grand narrative that will point us to joy. Really what we have this morning is a, really what I'm going to call the surprising messenger of joy, the comprehensive meaning of joy, and then the practical message of joy that we can apply to our lives and grow in that. So here we go, Luke chapter 1, verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, There was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. 
Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Verse 11, then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord." Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. If you're a student of the whole Bible, that's great. And I hope you have a hunger and passion for the Word. If you're brand new to the Bible, and this is you, you got a picture of the manger scene and the star and the, the wise men and all that, but you don't... It's like, how do I make sense of the big story? If that's you today, I'm especially glad that you're here. When we think about Zechariah and Elizabeth, they're old in age, they're, they're beyond childbearing years, we're reminded of the older story of Abraham and Sarah. Way back when, when we started the year and we talked about faith stories and how God will work through these surprising people. And I say it often, but I'll say it again. One of the things I absolutely love about God's Word, it's never sugar-coated. There's no varnish over it. We see the good, the bad, and the ugly. We see the dysfunction, and God is still working in the mess of it all. Can I get an amen? I don't know about you, but my life is not perfect. And I'm so thankful that God is working. He works through us and sometimes in spite of us. But that's the truth. And here we have, even in this story that we read around Christmas time, we're reminded that God works through flawed people with limited faith. What's a little bit ironic about this, if you catch it, Mary and Joseph, the teenagers, most likely, younger, they get the word. They're, they're going to humbly receive it. The veteran priest who knows all the scriptures, has all the wisdom, hey, I'm not so sure. How do I know this to be true? 
Isn't that interesting to see the contrast between the two? How can I be sure of this? Well, the angel said to him, verse 19, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Verse 21, meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. These are real flesh and blood people. Real pain. Real hope. Real waiting for their own story for God to work. Skip down to verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of the Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And we heard Kevin and Mary Jane read that wonderful just expression, song of joy from Mary that follows. But I want to look at just for a moment at the life of John the Baptist here. The child of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And let's Let's follow him for a moment in this surprising messenger of joy. We know a few things about John the Baptist. He, he was commanded to take this Nazarite vow, which means no alcohol. He wouldn't cut his hair. There were some other things associated with that, but there's a dedication to the Lord, a special commitment of service that goes all the way back, if you've been with us, to to Hannah and Samuel, and there's this tradition here that we see in John the Baptist. He will come on the scene, he will grow up, he will baptize many, including Jesus. And he will serve, he will point to a transition of influence and ministry. In John chapter 3, he says this to To this John replied, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah. (laughs) It's a good word for us all, is it not? I am not the Messiah. I am not the one to save all things. I am not the Messiah, but I am sent ahead of him. 
The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, and it is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. What an example from John the Baptist. Think of it this way, the best man at a wedding He's excited for the bridegroom. It's not, this is not my show. This is not my deal. I'm the one to get us to the point, but it is the one to come that will bring the real joy. Now, one of the reasons why I want to emphasize John the Baptist this morning as we talk about joy, the story for him does not end here. The story does not end for him here. John the Baptist will continue to to preach boldly. He will get himself in trouble because he will condemn Herod for sleeping with his brother's wife. And he will land in jail. And he will eventually lose his head for that. And you may be saying, good night, how can we be talking about joy with somebody who has this outcome? Matthew 11, verse 2, when John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one to come, or should we expect someone else. I want you to ponder that question for just a moment because that's a, that's a question John will ask at a particular point in time. Look, Jesus, I, I, I'm in jail. I'm going to die. And I was supposed to do all this? Are you, are you the one? Are you really the one? Or should we wait for something else? Let me ask you this morning, Is Jesus the one for you? Throw everything else aside. Is Jesus the one for you who will bring you ultimate joy? Or are you still waiting for someone or something else? That's the question we all have to ask ourselves. Is he really the one for you? Or are you still waiting? Are you the one who is to come? He's here, but is to come. Is he the one who will bring ultimate restoration here? Ultimate joy, ultimate peace. Listen to Jesus' response. Matthew 11, verse 4. Jesus replied, go back and report to John. What you hear and see, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news, from which we get the word gospel, is proclaimed to the poor. What is Jesus' response? Yes, yes. 
I am the one. Look, open your eyes and see. Open your eyes and see how God, how he's been working. This is the right story of joy. Now let's look at the comprehensive meaning of joy. We've got this kind of unlikely messenger of joy. Now let's get to the comprehensive meaning of joy. Now let's go to another John. This is not John the Baptist. This is John the disciple, John the beloved one, the one in Jesus' inner circle. He will write a letter to believers who are struggling to make sense of Jesus. Anybody know anybody that's struggling to make sense of Jesus? How do you make sense of Jesus? Fully God, fully man. It makes my brain hurt sometimes to really think about that. But he will write this letter, 1 John, verse 1, it says this. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. So here you have John writing to this church. They're trying to understand, make sense of Jesus. He's saying, look, I, I write you this so that our joy may be complete. Where does that joy come from? Fellowship with God. Relationship with God. That's the full completion of the story. That is the fulfillment of the promise. So let me ask you today, how do you have a relationship? How do you have that fellowship with God? How do you have that? What do you, what do, you do? What do you, I mean, if we, if we are, are really going to be serious about this, on what basis do we have a relationship? On what basis do we have fellowship with the God of the universe? Well, the great thing is we don't have to bring our resume we do have to bring our repentance, though. What's a resume? God, this is, this is my record. This is what I have done. Will you accept me on that basis? Will you keep me in fellowship based on how well I continue to do? That, friends, is not the good news. The good news is that when I repent, I change my mind, I let my, put my resume down, and I say, I'm going to put my faith, my trust in Jesus. I may not fully get it. I may say, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. But I believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be, the Son of God. I believe that he lived, 
I believe that he really died on the cross, and I really believe that he rose from the dead, that that's historical, and it is true. And that's what I'm going to put my faith and my confidence in. And I love you too much to to say anything else. If you haven't done that yet, today's your day. Take that step. We can help you with any questions, any doubts. Doesn't mean we've got all everything figured out. But let's talk. We write this to make our joy complete. Let me give you another comprehensive aspect of this joy. Let me take you to James chapter 1. Who is James? James is the younger brother of Jesus. One of the things I love about James is James was a skeptic. James didn't buy it until the resurrection. Think about what what kind of evidence would it take for you to believe that your brother was the son of God? That's a high bar, friends. That is a really high bar. But after the resurrection, James will lead the church at Jerusalem. He will give his life ultimately. And he says this, James 1 verse 2. And this is a letter he's writing to the churches that have kind of been scattered throughout the Roman Empire. He says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Pure joy. What is pure joy? All joy. Seriously? All joy? How can he say that? Other translation will say, count it all joy. Do the math. Put your trials in perspective. They produce perseverance, which brings about maturity. James is saying, look, this thing that you see right now, this trial that you see right now, get it in perspective here. Look at the big picture. It's for your good, even though you can't see it right now, because it's helping you become more like Jesus. Anybody struggle with that sometimes? I do, even though I know the words are true and I can preach it. But how do we actually experience that on a daily basis? Well, let me take you to another place. Paul. The Apostle Paul, formerly Saul, had this amazing experience with Jesus on the road to Damascus and would go on and he would be the voice that would preach to the non-Jews. Paul is in jail. He's writing to this church at Philippi. Being in jail in the ancient world was, was not a walk in the park, friends. Usually when you're in jail, you think you're probably going to die. He says this, Philippians 4, verse 12, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content 
In any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. This word content, sometimes we'll see Philippians 4.13 on football players' eye black. We'll see it. We'll see it on the fridge. We'll see it in different places. It doesn't simply mean I can do anything. It's in a broader context here. Paul's in prison. And it's a way to think. It's a way to put it in perspective. This word content means that that you're not attached to external circumstances. To be content in this context is to say my joy is not dependent upon my external circumstances, or, and I think this is the harder part for me, to make sense of my circumstances. If you struggle to understand why God does certain things, you are not alone. (laughs) But the joy that he's talking about says, my joy is not attached to my circumstances or my ability to make sense of everything or my feelings that are associated with my circumstances. Where is our joy to be attached? To Jesus. He is the source of our strength. He is our joy. So we can hear these words. Now the question is, how do we actually apply them? How do we put them into practice? How do we take them from a nice magnet on the fridge to an experience in my heart and soul and everyday life? Let me give you some pointers here. How does this work? The practical message of joy. And in this series, I've been working through a progression that has identify and investigate and invite. I want to continue with that, but with some different pointers here. The first is to identify your identity. Identify your identity. Who are you? Ultimately, who are you in this big story? I am not the hero. (laughs) You are not the hero. We are not the heroes of the story. But we're something greater than that. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you are a child of God. You are a child. You become a child of God, which means we are brothers and sisters in Christ. You're a child by the grace of God. We're brothers and sisters by the grace of God. We will live forever together by the grace of God. Grace means that your identity, my identity, isn't something we achieve. It's not something we earn. It is a gift. Now, if we we have this achievement mindset... 
We have what one old preacher calls a spiritual whiplash, which means on the one hand, we can say, okay, if it's, if it's up to my achievement, then I will always fall short. I will always fall short. I will never be enough. I can never earn it. I can never keep it. I'm always less than. And whether I say those words out loud or it's just something deep in my heart, I may not experience the joy that God has for me if I always feel like I am less than. On the other hand, I can say, you know what? I've kind of earned it. It's dependent upon me, and I've, I've earned it. Again, nobody's going to say that out loud, but sometimes we act that way, and we can, we can have this spiritual whiplash sometimes of saying, oh, I'm not enough. I've earned it. Back and forth, back and forth. Let the truth of grace penetrate your heart and your soul and your mind. We don't have to achieve it. We don't have to create an identity. We, we got a whole world that's confused about identity. Believe in yourself, create your own identity, all that. No, no. When you put your faith and trust in Christ, you become a child of God. That's, could there be anything greater than that? That's what it's about. Now, how do you know that to be true? That's where we need perspective. That's where the big story comes into play. That's where this whole Genesis to Revelation, the whole Bible, the, the, the big story that is being fulfilled, that is true. That's the promises that are outside of our own thinking. And it's the presence of the Holy Spirit in us that reminds us who we are. I was reminded of just this truth the other, a couple weeks ago, and I was at an event, and um, it just kind of brought it, brought it home to me. I was with a couple friends, and those two friends had had a disagreement. Have you ever had a disagreement with somebody? Have you ever had somebody that, you know, I, I, I call it the um, head-on-a-swivel grocery store test. You see somebody, and you're like, you know what, I've got my head on a swivel. The last thing I want to do is go see him and talk to him. And I saw these two guys talking together. And the one I know had kind of hurt the other one with some words and things like that. And the one guy was like super friendly and gracious and loving. And I was talking to him later. I said, I'm so proud of you, the way you handled that. And this is what he said. He said, you know what? I love my brother. And... I know I've got to spend a million trillion years with him in eternity. <laughs> now, just think about that. If, if all this stuff we sing about is true, that's true. Okay? One of the things that just brings me joy, and we're not, we're not going to sing it today, but y'all love Amazing Grace, right? What's the last verse that gets to everybody? When we've been there 10,000 years Bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than what? When we'd first begin. That's a vision of eternity that is forever. We're part of that big story. Wow. 
Oh my goodness, I got to keep going here. Number two, investigate your feelings. I'll be quick on this one. Don't ignore your feelings. Examine them, share them, process them. But good night, don't be led by them. Don't attach your joy to them. Feelings can be like a roller coaster of the stock market, right? I mean, they are up and down. They can be up and down in 24 hours. May our joy not be attached to that. We've got the promises of God. We've got the presence of the Holy Spirit. Don't be led by your feelings. Finally, and I'll wrap it with this. Invite Jesus in. Invite him in. Got a prayer card for you today that that will help you do that. There's a particular prayer that Paul prays that we'll end with today. But invite him in. Invite him in. He's there. He wants more. And invite others. This is not a solo operation. Invite others to join you. If that's a, that's a meal, that's a cup of coffee, it's church, it's the slide, <laughs> whatever that may be, invite somebody in. Because you know what the world needs right now? We need hope, we need peace, we need joy that is found in the fellowship of God's people and in the fellowship that we have with the Lord. Amen? Well, let's pray and then we'll prepare to come to the table. Father, we thank you. Oh, do we thank you for your love, your joy, a joy that can go beyond anything we can really comprehend a joy that is so comprehensive so complete in the grand story of the Bible it's made complete in Jesus and in his return it's it's in all situations all circumstances it's a joy that comes not through our feelings through our achievements through you, Jesus. So we say thank you, and I pray, Lord, that your spirit right now would give each one of us what we need. If it's conviction, do that work. If it's comfort, do that work. If it's a clear next step in a relationship, do that work. And may we not resist your spirit. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.